It was a strange Monday last week. Katie's, Monday, uh, Katie's grandmother passed away, and so the family was all gathered in Howell, Michigan. And after the funeral for a goodbye uh, before she was buried next to a bunch of her relatives and her husband at the gravesite. It was exactly the time when we were standing next to uh, her casket and they were about to lower it in. It was exactly the time when the solar eclipse happened. And so before the formal comments all started, everybody spent their time passing around those cardboard glasses and staring at the sun. I hope they weren't knockoffs. Uh, Otherwise, we're all in big trouble. But we spent some time doing that. And even as people were taking off the glasses and and, and then putting them back on, I mean, for most of us, if it was not for the glasses, I wouldn't have had a clue that the moon was covering the sun at all, because it pretty much looked normal outside. Usually at funerals, for someone who lived 90 years or so, who gave birth to seven children, and had a bunch of great-grandchildren as well, you think about the grandness of their life. And we did. The family talked about her influence her legacy, we shared stories. But on that particular day, my heart couldn't help but think of how small we were, how small we really are. Up in the sky, just staring at the sun, this incomprehensibly massive, exploding star that warms our planet and that was mostly covered up by a big rock just spinning around our planet. The sun really is, the whole universe, the concept of it, it's intimidating. And yet, it's just one, our sun that is, of billions of exploding stars across the universe. And here we are lowering grandma into the ground off a dirt road next to an old church. And it made me think that life is just such, such a breath. It comes, it goes It's gone so quickly, and we seem so small and insignificant. What's really the purpose? What's really the purpose? That's the question that I'm sure many people would think on such a day. John Updike was a Pulitzer Prize-winning writer and critic. He was one of only three men to win the Pulitzer Prize more than once for his fictional stories. And in Pigeon's Feathers, one of the books that he wrote, he describes a jarring portrayal of what awaits us at the end of life. It's a picture built on naturalism. He wasn't a naturalist himself, but he was writing this fictitious story, and he had a naturalist character within it. And that is the belief that human history is accidental by nature, and therefore without purpose, direction, or any ultimate goal. What will be the ending of life? What will the end bring? This is what he writes, without warning... David was visited by an exact vision of death, a long hole in the ground no wider than your body, down which you were drawn while the white faces recede. You try to reach them, but your arms are pinned. Shovels pour dirt in your face. There you will be forever, in an upright position, blind and silent, and in time no one will remember you, and you will never be called." As strata of rock shift, your fingers elongate and your teeth are distended sideways in a great underground grimace, indistinguishable from a strip of chalk. And the earth tumbles on, and the sun expires, and unaltering darkness reigns where once there were stars. That's the picture of naturalism. 
That when all is said and done, eventually our star, like every other star, will burn out and there will simply be an unaltering darkness reigning where once there were stars. In 1 Peter 4, Peter offers an equally jarring picture of the end, but his is quite contrasting with this one. It is eternally hopeful. For the former fisherman, who is now an apostle, life was not meaningless. It didn't end in this type of way. It didn't end with an unaltering darkness. No, not at all. He had a completely different worldview, and his worldview was built on the fact that he saw the resurrected Christ. Not only did he know of his death and resurrection and experience that, but also his ascension. And that shaped and changed the way he viewed the world. His faith in Christ completely changed the way he thought about life and what he was doing in this world with the breath that he had in his lungs. There is purpose. There is direction. There is movement. And that's why he concludes this section in verse 11 saying, In everything, here's where it's moving. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Everything is moving towards the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son, the reign of the Messiah, the one who flung all the stars, all the suns across the skies with a word. As Pastor John Piper said, it's about the greatness of God, not the significance of man. God made man small and the universe big to say something about himself. And so when we look at Peter's perception of our lives and what is to come and really what we're supposed to do here, for him and for the Christian, there is meaning, there is purpose, and there is a unique way that God has designed every single one of us, although it might seem that we're so small, although it might seem that even when we pass it's insignificant, In the grand scheme of things, according to the Christian in our worldview, in the word of God, there is purpose and uniqueness to our lives. And maybe, as we come to the end of this series, our summer series, No One Ever Told Me, maybe for you, no one ever told you that you have been uniquely gifted by God to give of yourself for the sake of the church and for the sake of his glory. That he's designed you a specific way. And that's not insignificant. It's no small thing. It is something that matters and creates this movement towards the end that he has already purposed and designed. Or maybe for you, it's simply a truth that you need to hear again this morning, that we are gifted to give. That even while God is sovereign over the expanse of the entire universe, God has designed you and put gifts in you through the Holy Spirit to be used, to be used, not to be on the sidelines. Now, let me give you some background to this chapter. Peter is writing to Christians in Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey, so let me just show you where that is. So it's right around this area. So it went to the church in Ephesus and all the churches in that surrounding region. And, of course, we have it in our scriptures today, so we can benefit from it as well. And these Christians at that time were suffering for Jesus Christ. They were persecuted. And so he was reminding them of their hope He was reminding them of their salvation. He was reminding them of God's presence uh, that was very real within their lives. And at the beginning of the chapter, Peter says that every person who does not submit to their lives, this is verse 5, it says, will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But for those who have received the gospel through faith and are now suffering, 
They're, they're suffering, they're, they're being persecuted because of that belief by the world around them. He says in verse 6 that they will live in the Spirit the way God does. And this is why the Christian's view is so uniquely jarring, because in the end, everybody answers to Jesus. Everybody answers to Jesus. And because Jesus has already come and has rose from the dead, he has ushered in the end. He has brought about this movement towards the end, towards this judgment. He has already been crowned king. He is already reigning, and Peter knows one day he will return and establish his dominion forever and ever. Now, God's plans are fixed. In fact, the only thing that's keeping Jesus from returning now is God's grace, God's grace that those who have not yet submitted their lives to him through faith would have an opportunity to do so and place themselves under the reign, under the kingship of Lord Jesus, so that they too would be prepared. So now look at verse 7, which is really the beginning of the paragraph we're looking at. It says, the end of all things is at hand. So according to the Bible, the end has already begun. We are in the final chapters of history. Always be weary, by the way, just an aside, always be really weary and just dismiss people who think they can tell you about the time or the day where the end of the world is happening and all the rest of it. It does not exist, and they are telling you something that is false. Just last week, I got so many Facebook messages and emails from articles and people trying to ask, like, Pastor, did this solar eclipse have theological meaning and this and that and whatever? And most of it's just nonsense because God's word already tells us that no one will know. No one knows the day. So if somebody says and claims to know the day, you already know that it's false teaching. And so they say, no one will know the day, but we don't know the day, what Peter is saying. But the end is already moving towards its fulfillment because Christ has ascended. So we are in the end of things. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, basically the point is, don't waste your life. We need to move. We need to actively pursue things of the kingdom. Don't procrastinate your life away. And in our culture of materialism, this is so easy to do. We are hardwired in our broken nature to love the things of the world. We start to call indulgences and extravagances needs. We begin using our resources and money the same way that unbelievers do. And we think to ourselves, or we're tempted to think, I've got time. I've got time to serve the kingdom. I've got time to live for Christ. I've got time to go and make disciples. I've got time to grow. I'll eventually invest in God's kingdom, but let me get a few things lined up for me first. Let me just enjoy some stuff. Let me line up some things, and and then it'll be time for me to really invest in the kingdom. Or maybe let me get a few things lined up for my kids. I need to make sure that they're on the right teams and the right sports at the right school. So, so once, once our lives are not so dominated by these pursuits, then, then I'll create the space necessary to invest properly in the gospel. And we end up pulling back from Christian relationships. Our calendars end up revealing our priorities, and our priorities are often built on consumerism and individualism. We pull back from productive work for the kingdom. We pull back from growing as disciples and disciple-making, and we forget why God still has us here, that we're here for a purpose, 
uniquely gifted, in the middle of this darkness, instead of bringing us straight home to him, he left us here for a reason for this season because it matters. We forget maybe at times we're in a war. We forget, according to this verse, the end of all things is at hand. We must give up the chase. Give up the life we had before Christ that still tugs at our hearts every day. The the life Peter describes here, look back at verse 3. He he describes this type of life. He said, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living, this is how they live. This is how those apart from Christ live. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. They mistreat you. They abuse you. They neglect you. They persecute you. This is what we heard last Sunday from some who were baptized. This was their story before Christ, these types of things. But instead, now now that we're in Christ, Peter gives us four things to embrace, knowing that our time is short, knowing that we have just a season to make a difference for Jesus. He gives us these four things to embrace Verse 7, this catches us up to our verses then. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace, be self-controlled and sober-minded, number one. Number two, genuinely love one another. Number three, show hospitality without complaining about it. And number four, serve one another. And that's the one we want to hone in on for the rest of our time this morning, that, that we must serve one another. We have been gifted to give. We have been gifted to give. Look again at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it. To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Three principles with these verses this morning. First, remember you have been graced. Another word for gifted. You have been graced. It says that each, as in everyone, everyone, every single one of us here who is in Jesus Christ, we, we, we have been given this grace, and if you are in Christ and can hear the sound of my voice this morning, that means that God wants you to know that you have a gift from him and to be used for him, from him and for him. God's grace does not end with salvation. So often when we think about grace, we put it into a small theological box, but the doctrine of grace, the theology of grace, the idea of grace is so much broader It is God's grace, it says his varied grace, that brings us also gifts. And so grace, which really means his unmerited favor extending to us through Jesus, it it brings us forgiveness. Our sins are no longer counted against us by God. It justifies us. That's God's grace. It's a work of his grace that the righteousness of Jesus is attributed to us so that we can stand before a holy God. It's grace that sanctifies us that helps us move and become more and more like Jesus Christ. It's grace that brings about our salvation, that saves our souls for eternity so that we will enjoy God forever. It's grace 
that allows the sun to rise. It's grace that allows, allows the rain to fall. It's his grace that gives us each other. It's his grace that gives us his spirit. And he has given us gifts of grace that we do not deserve for us to enjoy. But more than that, for us to use for his people and for his, purpose, uh, for his purpose and for his glory. This is also grace. I used to play soccer with this guy at Cedarville University. His name was Roddy Willis. And Roddy was gifted. He was tall. He was strong. He was fast. He was skilled. And at a school and on a team with mostly Caucasian people, Roddy was our only African-American. And Roddy, whenever he would go and score a goal, he'd put his fingers up like this, he'd shake them a little bit, and he'd go, grace. He'd go, grace. That was his celebration. That's what he'd do. When he'd go score a goal, he'd, he'd run away from the goal, and he'd go, grace, grace. But it just wasn't when he scored goals. It, when he had an assist, he'd put his fingers up, grace, grace. When he made a good pass, grace. When somebody else scored a goal, grace. When we were at practice and he made it through a sprint, grace. When we would come off the field and we'd show up at Wendy's for a post-game meal, he'd go, grace. Everything in this guy's life, he would always do this thing and always talk about it as a grace of God. It was all the time on his lips. Every time he made a good play, every time he got off the charter bus and we made it safely back to school, every time we had dinner, every time he woke up, every time I saw that guy, if it was a beautiful day outside, I'd be like, Roddy, good to see you, man. Isn't it beautiful outside today? It's like grace. Everything's just grace. And we'd go into these restaurants and Roddy was known on our team, and this is not pastoral exaggeration. He, he would share the gospel with every person who served him in every restaurant we went to during that soccer season. I don't know what he did when we weren't uh, playing soccer and traveling around and whatever, but every time I was with him, he would always share the gospel. And so he'd come and with his food, and somebody would say, hey, did you get to share the gospel? And he's like, yeah, grace. Grace. Everything in his life was always, he was always talking about grace. Sometimes the guys on our team would make fun of him for his quirkiness. Sometimes people in the school would judge him for his overzealousness. Saying, you, you don't need to be like Roddy. Roddy's just weird. He's He's different. You don't need to be like Roddy. He's always talking about Jesus. He's always talking about grace. It's like the only thing that he thought about in life. And I remember even when we were playing soccer, he, he, he uh, quite frankly, was never, he never really fulfilled his potential. Because when he was playing on the soccer field, it's like he wasn't really all that interested in the game. When he wanted to dominate, He'd like kick it into gear and he'd dominate, he'd score a goal and then he's running around, grace, grace. And then, and, and then when he wasn't paying much attention, the coach would always yell and be like, Roddy, start running. He's like, okay. And it was like, it, it was never a big thing to him. Because for him, it's almost like the game itself was just something to do, but all he really cared about was telling people about Grace. And all these Christians would mock him. And he wouldn't argue, he wouldn't yell. 
In the two years that I knew him, he was an encourager. He would always sing. He was singing all the time. He was always talking about grace. He was gentle. He was never obnoxious in his presentation of the gospel. But he'd talk about grace. Everything else in life, secondary. I think he understood the grace of God in a much more biblical way than any of us did at the time. Do you know that every good thing in your life is God's grace? It's his grace. It's varied grace. Even our gifts, varied grace. So just a... Give Pastor Roddy a shout out. He's a pastor in Texas today. Just turn to a couple people and for the sake of Roddy, just put your fingers up and just do a, do a good grace this morning. Grace. It's grace. Notice as well that it says varied grace. We're not all the same. We're all wired differently. We've all been given different grace in terms of gifting from God. Here, this, uh, this, is, this is good news, by the way. Uh, We all need to hear this from the Lord this morning, that our perfectly heavenly Father is saying to us that you have been gifted, you are gifted, you are gifted with a grace, a varied grace that is different from everyone else's form of grace, that gift that is meant to be in you and used, yes, for your enjoyment, but ultimately for his church and for his glory. Don't waste it. Don't sideline it. Use it. That's what Peter's after here. Use it. If you're not sure how, then pray. Ask the Lord. Talk to someone in our church family. Fill out a communication card and just be like, I don't know how to do this. We'll get together. We'll pray. We'll figure it out. But use it. Don't waste it. God's given you that varied grace for a purpose that is far beyond you and far beyond me. Something that matters for his church and for eternity. You have been graced But acknowledge as well, you've been graced or gifted to serve, to serve. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, we'll go back to this verse again and again, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, basically with the mouthpiece of God, the very words of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Peter doesn't create a master list of spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul does that in the book of Romans and 1 Corinthians. Peter just doesn't spell out all the details. He basically talks about how to serve one another through gifts of speaking and gifts of serving. He puts them in these two big buckets, gifts of speaking and gifts of serving. And we steward our gifts, whichever one of those buckets you tend to fall into, as co-managers In God's household, to build up the household, to build up the body, to bring the church to maturity, to to help disciples be made. See, if everyone was like me, I I tend to fall, or at least I think I fall in that speaking category, in the speaking bucket. If everyone was like me, there'd be a lot of talking, like a lot of talking, a little bit of listening, probably a lot of singing. Uh, there'd be a lot of grilling food uh, all winter long, just grill, grill, grill. We, we'd grill a lot of food. There'd be a lot of reading books. There'd be a lot of watching sports and watching movies, but nothing would ever get fixed, like ever. 
and ever. We'd be enjoying theological conversations and talking about mission in a decrepit, broken, beyond repair building (laughs) that would basically be useless for any other purpose. I love to preach, but not everybody does. But that's how I'm built. That's, that's how I view the world. That's how I think about life. That's how I think about much that I do. I, I'm built for this. Maybe some of you love to build things. Maybe you're built to fix things or clean things or organize things or host people or listen to people or encourage people or pray for people or play some instrument for people. But not everybody loves what you love because that's how you're built. You're built uniquely, a varied Grace, different from every single other believer in this church family, and yet all under the sovereignty of God, his control for his purposes, for his glory. Now in this first bucket, if we're talking about the speaking gifts, if you wake up early and go to bed late constantly thinking about how to communicate the beauty and the power of God's word and the gospel, maybe you can kind of start to relate to people in that bucket. But that's, that's how I think about life. If, if I go through a day and something interesting happens or something horrible happens or something good happens, I'm always and only pretty much thinking about sermons and teaching. If I'm watching television, I'm thinking about preaching. If I'm reading the news, I'm thinking about preaching. If I'm interacting with you as a friend, I'm thinking about preaching and you'll probably end up in an illustration someplace. That's just the way it goes. Like I go through life and I'm constantly, constantly thinking, how does this apply to the word of God so I can use it to help other people understand the word of God and better understand the gospel of Jesus? I'm constantly thinking about that. It's like a never-ending, never-ceasing thing. Now, when you're in that way, when you're gifted in that speaking category, Pastor Kent Hughes talks about preachers, and this is what he says about his own experience. He says, there are times when I am preaching that I have especially sensed the pleasure of God. I usually become aware of it through the unnatural silence. The ever-present coughing ceases, and the pews stop creaking, bringing an almost physical quiet to the sanctuary." Through which my words sail like arrows, I experience a heightened eloquence so that the cadence and volume of my voice intensify the truth I am preaching. There is nothing quite like it, the Holy Spirit filling one's sails, the sense of his pleasure, and the awareness that something is happening among one's hearers. The experience is, of course, not unique, for thousands of preachers have similar experiences, even greater ones. For any preacher... Or teacher of the word of God, this can go beyond preaching to teaching the word of God, men and women. The truth is that we are engaged in something that is entirely beyond us. And to be quite honest, none of us are fit for it. None of us. It's a grace. It's a gift meant to serve others. And by God's grace, with humility in our hearts, our very words become God's word for his people. His spirit is the one speaking through us for his glory, never ours. After I preach, sometimes people will come up and say, I I felt like you were speaking right to me this morning. I felt like you were speaking right to my heart today. And maybe you've been in a sermon where you felt that before. I felt like you were just directly speaking to me. And and I often say to people, that wasn't me. (laughs) That's God. That's what he does. That's how he uses his word. That's how he uses his spirit 
It's never, it's never a person. That's God's work. That's God's doing. And for every gift that is not a speaking gift, but generally this other bucket, a serving gift, the same principles apply. The same principles apply. This is meant for others, not for ourselves, for their good, not for ours. I remember Ed Schofield. He was our high school custodian. And Ed Schofield had served as the custodian at Kaga Valley Christian Academy for decades when I was there from 94 to 98. And I remember our high school soccer coach one time bringing Ed Schofield into the team meeting before our game to give us the pre-game pep talk. And we were all blown away because we knew Ed. It was a smaller school. We'd seen him. We've talked to him. And we're thinking, this guy's not a motivational speaker. This is going to be totally lame. This is going to be totally boring. And so Ed comes in, and we used to have a nickname for Ed. Now, this is again in the 90s. This was my generation in high school. So at that time, like for guys who were kind of, you know, in their teens in those years, I used to watch a lot of Ninja Turtle movies, like the original ones, not the new ones, like the good ones, the awesome ones. And so it was like real actors in those big costumes. And, and I remember going to the movie theater and afterward my dad saying like, don't go down in the sewer and don't go looking for turtles down there. And I'm like, yeah, and I tried to convince my brother to do it, but because um, I didn't want him around much, but but he never did. So so it was a Ninja Turtle thing. We loved Ninja Turtles and played Ninja Turtle video games and all the rest of it. Well, Ed looked a lot like Splinter. So we used to call him Splinter because he had kind of wiry hair, kind of balding. Um, he'd slick it back. So Ed Schofield comes into this meeting and starts talking. And he tells us about taking care of the grounds and he tells us about arranging classrooms and tells us about cleaning the bathrooms and sweeping hallways. And we got to this Q&A part and somebody asked him, you know what, I'm a high school kid and I don't think there's a guy in this room today that would go through life and say, I can't wait to be a high school custodian. Why are you doing this? And it was said in sincerity. And Ed started to cry. We were shocked. We've never seen Splinter cry before. He started to weep. We sat silent. And we sat on the edge of our seats waiting for him to respond. And this is what he said. He said, when I serve Jesus Christ as a custodian, I feel the Lord's pleasure. I've heard a lot of great preachers in my life, and sometimes I remember nothing from what they say. But I remember Ed, who probably wasn't in the speaking bucket. He was in the serving bucket. And he said, I feel the Lord's pleasure when I serve as a custodian. When we work and serve in our giftedness, we feel the Lord's pleasure. Did you know that when you are using your gifts for God's glory, when you're feeling his pleasure, it becomes a conduit of grace to God's people. It's a varied grace, not just meant for you, but meant for all. When was the last time you felt the Lord's pleasure 
using your gifts for his glory? Where, when somebody were to ask you, like, why were you doing that? You felt such pleasure and joy in what you were doing for the sake of the kingdom that it brings tears to your eyes just to say, because when I serve the way I've been wired to serve, I feel his pleasure. People look for joy in so many places in this world. And they're so sad and depressed and joyless. And they call themselves Christians. Maybe if that's you, that joy is found in places you have not been looking recently. It's found in places that are already inside of you. That God is waiting for you to start using. You have been graced, gifted. You are gifted in speaking or serving for the purpose to serve. And so finally, serve. That's the last one, serve. Serve in your gifting. Let's hear the passage one more time. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Maybe you're thinking, I just don't know how to make space in my life. Maybe you're thinking, okay, now I get it. I know that we've all been given a gift. It's a unique gift. God's uniquely wired me to serve his purposes for his glory and also for my joy. I get that. I just don't know how to make space for this in my life. It's another thing. It's not another thing. It's the thing. It's the thing, working with all of our strength for the kingdom, all the other things we pursue, all the other things we do, all the other things we build, all the other things you're building and doing and accomplishing in your life, all of it is gone, except for the work you've done for the kingdom, if you believe the scriptures. What will last? Only the work for the kingdom. And so it's not another thing, it's the thing. Recognize then that God will give you the strength you need. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I have the energy for this. I don't know if I have the time for this. I don't know if I have the space for this. He will supply the time. He will supply the energy. It says, serves by the strength that God supplies. Not that we supply ourselves, but the strength that he supplies. He will supply the joy. He will supply everything you need. Do we really think that when we submit our lives to serving God's kingdom purposes, that he's then going to strip all the stuff away from our lives that we need to actually then serve him? (laughs) How crazy are we? Sometimes we're like, I don't have time to do this. It's not really on my list right now. Maybe I'll one day have some space when, when, when all the sports are done and the school is done and the, the, the postgraduate degrees are done and all the other stuff is done. That, then I'll have time. Then I'll have space. Do we really think that our perfect Heavenly Father, if we pursue His kingdom purposes, is going to strip us of what we need to do His will? That's not how He works. You'll find space, time, joy that you never, never knew was even provided for you. 
And when you hear those words in your mind, I don't have time, energy, space, realize that is the enemy creating excuses. Don't listen. Don't listen. Let's think about our Savior as we close this morning. He talked about this. It was hours before he was arrested, hours before he was crucified. He journeyed to the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And here's how he talked about this. Listen to this story. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He is pleading with the Father to remove this cup of suffering that he was about to drink, called the crucifixion. But he also knew that he was the Messiah that was sent for this very purpose, that was sent in order to save those who are lost, to seek and save those who are in need of saving, those who are in need of a doctor, those who need spiritual health. He knew this was his mission. He knew that was the way he had been gifted to live his life. But he's praying because he's struggling and he's not wanting to do it and he's not wanting to go through with it because of the suffering that was right in front of him. So he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's submitting himself still to the will of the Father. And then in verse 43, and it says in Luke's gospel, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. Strengthening him. God supplies. We are weak when we go to the wells that we've dug ourselves to find refreshment. The relational wells when we're dependent on a spouse or a child or a friend to help us feel good and to help us feel joy and help us feel fulfilled, that's a shallow well, friends. It will run dry. When we go to the well of finances and say, this is where I'll find joy and this is where I'll find satisfaction and this is where I'll find purpose, that's a shallow well. The physical wells that we have, well, I've been given good health. It's a shallow well. We are only strengthened when we go to the well of the Lord. It is bottomless. It is endless. It is always present and always available and never runs dry. He will give you what you need to serve the way that he has wired you to serve for his church and his glory. Do you believe him? Will you follow through? You have been given a gift of grace for God's glory. Serve. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our Lord and Savior, our example in all of life, Jesus Christ through whose blood we have been forgiven, justified, sanctified, redeemed. Father, it is 
the ultimate picture of your grace. And yet that grace, Father, is such a broad concept. It goes far beyond simply saving us. It's also a grace that you give us gifts that you call graces. And these graces are meant to be used, Father, for your glory, for your church. So that the church would be built up, brought to maturity, a beautiful bride for your glory. So Lord, thank you for how you've uniquely wired each of us here in this room this morning. Help us to know that through your word you're speaking to each of us that the the end of times is at hand. We don't know, but that is meant to give us a sense of urgency to serve and to make a difference, making disciples in this world, working for your kingdom productively for your glory. Father, I pray that that is how we would live that that would be our motivation. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ, that they would understand that only through his blood, only through faith in him can they experience your grace. So Father, I pray for them that they would continue seeking Jesus. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would be used of you so that when people see this church family, they would see your kingdom at work your gospel at work, and they would be moved and motivated to follow you as well. Thank you for this time this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we go ahead and stand up? Let's just sing this hymn together. We've all been given through faith God's grace, his grace to serve, his grace to live, his grace to breathe, and we're forgiven because of Christ. So let's sing of this truth together. Sing this out now.